Welcome to the Lentil Intervention Podcast, talking all things movement, whole food nutrition and environmental wellness with your hosts, Ben and Emma. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode six. My name is Ben Adelberg and joined by my co-host, Emma Strutt. Hello, Emma. G'day, g'day, Ben. How are you going? Very good, thank you. Now, just a very quick bit of admin Specifically for those living in Auckland, I have got three lots of speaking engagements coming up over the next few weeks. Uh, so, for, um, so firstly, uh, Thursday, 4th of March, this coming week, 6pm at the University of Auckland Business School, the University of Auckland Debating Society and the Sustainable Future Collective are hosting a public debate on veganism. And no idea how, but I've been invited to be on the panel of three for the pro-veganism, of course. Um, my first time debating, so a little bit nervous. And uh, just out of man of interest, the invited speaker on the opposing team is the Chief Insights Officer at Beef and Lamb New Zealand. So it should certainly be Ooh. an interesting one. Um, but yeah, if you're around and uh, like the joys of seeing people sweated out on a debate, then come along to that. Um, <laughs> the Auckland Vegan Food Festival at Corbin Estate Arts Centre, Sunday the 7th of March uh, at 11.30am. I'll be speaking. It's nothing major, just a little chat with those that attend those little workshops. So it's about 30, 45 minutes. Um, and then the big one, Auckland Go Green Expo and Better Food Fair, Saturday and Sunday, 27th and 28th of March. I've been invited to be one of the key presenters. Uh, so I'll be delivering a workshop, 12pm on both days, 90 minutes long, uh, titled Plant Powered for Personal and Planetary Health. So that's a full-on slideshow. It is great if you want to sort of touch on a bit of your knowledge on a whole food plant-based diet, but even more so, friends and family that you feel need to start making change for their own health or even for the planet, bring them along. Um, it's a great little presentation, lots of Q&As. So yeah. Those three dates, we'll put them up on our uh, page as well and uh, look forward to seeing many of you there. Got a busy month coming up. I do indeed. (laughs) Now, just a quick reminder for everyone that if you're enjoying the podcast and our resources on the website and, you know, find value in our work, please consider buying us a coffee through the link that will be in our show notes or hit that little coffee icon on our website. It definitely helps us bring more content to you. For sure. Now, this episode, uh, the Eating and Activity Guidelines for New Zealand Adults was updated in December last year, 2020, uh, to include advice for pregnant and breastfeeding women, and hence why we're going to have our upcoming little conversation now. But just announced the Australian Dietary Guidelines are now for review as well. Uh, There is an initial scoping survey that will seek input from anyone using the guidelines, So if that is you and you would like to provide some input, we will put a link in our show notes uh, so that you can follow that and make your contribution. Yeah, absolutely. And just a quick little update on our wonderful guest for this episode. At time of recording, she was still working as Projects Lead for Doctors for Nutrition, but has since swapped over to Events and Education Lead and is really enjoying sinking her teeth into that new role. So watch this space, lots of exciting stuff to come. And apologies in advance if this causes any confusion when you do hear her talking about her job as Projects Lead. So without further ado, let's get into today's episode. 
Today we are joined by the wonderful Hannah O'Malley. Hannah wears many hats. She is a clinical pharmacist and lifestyle medicine practitioner from Nelson. So she dispenses lifestyle medicine advice in addition to medication. Hannah is also project leads with the health promotion charity Doctors for Nutrition. And she founded the Better Base in 2018 as a way to help people eat more delicious plant-based food. Hannah, thank you so much for joining us today. Kia ora, Emma. Oh, thank you for that lovely introduction. It's a pleasure to be here with you both. Uh, Hannah, you are now a second guest from Nelson or even a third guest from the region. Clearly something in the water there. Tell us a little bit about yourself in terms of what you do and your passion for whole food, plant-based nutrition. Great. Um, so yeah, as Emma mentioned, I do wear a few hats. So I spend some of my time working in the biggest pharmacy in Nelson. So we we have a, quite a number of services that we offer there. And over the last couple of years, we've taken a real interest in supporting people with their um, lifestyle as well as um, with their medications. So yeah, we, we offer different events. We offer cholesterol testing there and can give people, you know, the advice um, that they need if they want to be, you know, improving those risk factors. And then also I am the project lead for Doctors for Nutrition and I spend um, a lot of time working on the various initiatives that are underway, um, which we can talk a bit more about. And then, yeah, with our group in Nelson, which is ever-growing, we have quite a number of health professionals and other enthusiastic members of the community um, who are really keen to see, um, you know, high-level change at policy um, level at the city council and at our district health board and really just, like, support anybody who wants to be eating more plant-based um, to be able to do so. So I spend a bit of time... Um, you know, working with that group to be, you know, pushing towards some more positive changes. And then through the Better Base, um, we do cooking classes and we um, kind of respond to other um, initiatives that are going on, like there's a festival happening in Motueka soon. So we'll be providing, um, you know, a workshop there. Oh, very exciting. Um, now, you keep really busy um, as project leads for Doctors for Nutrition. Um, we've recently talked to Drs. Helene and Juliet Rooks, so listeners are familiar with the wonderful work that DFN undertakes. And also, really big congratulations to the whole team for winning that Nourish Magazine Award, Changemaker of the Year. That's quite an achievement for such a young organisation, so congratulations, team. Um, but do tell us a little bit about your specific role and is there any inside scoops you can give us for events that might be in the pipeline for this year? Great, thank you. Well, yeah, the um, the award was quite a thrill to um, win and it was definitely a team effort and, Emma, you're a big part of that as well, being on our, our advisory council. Um so the role that I have as projects lead, um, essentially we have these three main pillars that we're working towards um, as part of our strategy. So there's, you know, educating health practitioners, um, there's supporting the public with shifting towards a more whole food plant-based eating pattern, and then there's the institutional advocacy. So um, each year we um, we run a strategy session um, or a a program to figure out what projects would best um, help achieve those outcomes um, and obviously they're really huge goals and um, a lot of the work that we're doing um, you know is kind of foundational towards achieving those so last year one of our major projects was the plant-based nutrition and health guide 
So that's an introduction for health professionals to, you know, what is plant-based nutrition and some of the, you know, the key evidence behind it and how can a health professional start implementing that as a tool in their practice. And then we developed a wider kit. So we have a poster, a um, dietary assessment tool, and a patient handout, and even a shopping list. Um, so that, that's an example of one of the projects that I helped to coordinate. Um, but lots of other people are involved in, in every project. And we have a great team um, who help us to promote that um, and you know, ideally get it out there and reach as many people as possible with what we're creating. Another big project that we are working on at the moment is to source a lot of whole food plant-based recipes that would really suit an Australian and New Zealand audience um, and also be inspiring for people all around the world and help them to you know, start eating more healthy whole grains, vegetables, fruits and legumes. And we're getting a lot of doctors and dietitians to be inputting and um, we'll be launching this recipe series um, in the autumn. So March, April time, you can expect to see um, a lot more on the food front from DFN. Looking forward to that. Now, just, re well, when I say just released, recently released is the new updated National Eating and Activity Guidelines for New Zealand, which is always exciting um, when something like that gets updated here or anywhere else in the world. Uh, you wrote, um, I guess, a bit of a, an overview on a bit of a reflection, I guess, on in terms of what those guidelines are, where the updates are and so on. So let's get into it a little bit. Uh, from a, a starting point, what's, what's your initial sort of thoughts on these updated guidelines in terms of from a Doctors for Nutrition point of view, you know, in terms of the direction we're trying to push people? Sure. So I think the first thing to note is that the key eating and activity statements were not reviewed or updated. So, you know, the, the, the big changes that we might have hoped to see um, are not fully there. Um, so the full eating and activity guidelines were published in 2015 and so we're five years on and we've just had a little refresh of the way these guidelines are presented. And then there's some extra information that's been included as well um, to try and give a bit more clarity to the population around you know, how to put these guidelines into practice. Um, so our initial response as Doctors for Nutrition was that these were some really positive um, changes in there, um, particularly around including environmental sustainability for the first time. There's an, uh, a statement saying that we urgently need to be promoting healthy and sustainable eating patterns. Um, however, they haven't really described um, in detail what that really looks like. So, um, yeah, it's it's a great uh, uh, it's a great refresh, but we we really do need them to go back and review those statements to um, reflect bringing, you know, the environment into the equation as well. Now, they've moved to a new plate model, um, which I think is is great because it's focusing on the whole food um, rather than, you know, processed food that has played a large part um, in previous um, guidelines. Now, dairy does remain on that plate, um, but in your brilliant um, blog post on the DFM website, you did mention that the New Zealand Ministry for Health released their sustainability in the health sector report in 2019, which recommended reducing dairy 
So do you think we're kind of tracking in the right direction there, slowly but surely? Oh, that's the million-dollar question, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I am optimistic that we are heading in that direction. And, you know, the Ministry of Health report aimed at the health sector, as you say, it did recommend reducing dairy and it recommended reducing meat and also rec- recommended promoting plant-based diets. Um, so that is a positive sign. Uh, however, as an, an economy, we are you know, largely um, reliant at the moment on an agriculture sector that you know, focuses on dairy. So I think the, the government you know, has to kind of weigh up those two things. And, and um, when it comes to health and dietary guidelines, um, we need to make sure that, that it is based on health rather than also on the financial profits. Um, and then also looking, you know, in the context of a climate emergency, which our government has recently declared, um, you know, how soon can we get the environment incorporated into these guidelines? And the sooner, the better. It seems to be a bit of a theme with, with some of these guidelines. I know the Australian guidelines are due to be updated soon. Um, the American, um, so the dietary guidelines for Americans has just been released. Uh, we've just had this, I guess, new revision come up from New Zealand. Um, we seem to be lagging in terms of catching up with the real environmental side of things. I mean, you know, it's great to make a statement on the environmental side of things, and and it's quite a nice statement as well in terms of the 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 holistic concept and I'll just quote here that includes three interconnected elements the Māori aura which is healthy individuals the whānau aura which is healthy families and the wai aura which is healthy environments but like you say there's no real um, in my mind the intent because it's great to say but okay where's the how but there are other dietary guidelines around the world that do seem to be taking a, a, a more shall we say urgent step in the right direction um, and there's a couple that we can compare to. Yeah, absolutely. So I think Canada was one of the leading um, lights in this area. And in 2019, they published um, their updated food guide. And that has a really nice clear plate. Um, they've, they've removed dairy as a food group on its own. Mm-hmm. And they have... Um, you know, said half of the plate should be fruits and vegetables, um, half of it should be whole grain, f- a quarter, sorry, should be whole grain foods, and a quarter of it should be what they call protein foods. Um, and the, they also have a statement that says when choosing protein foods, choose plant-based more often. Uh, so I think that's sending quite a clear message of um, the, the direction that as a population we need to be traveling in around uh, far more whole plant foods and a lot less um, meat in our diet and particularly the red meat. Yeah I was really excited when the Health Canada guidelines came out because it presented it as being better for the environment as well and it kind of aligns nicely with that planetary health diet by the Lancet but what was really fantastic is they you know they examined over a hundred systematic reviews on food topics but they excluded reviews that um, could have had conflict of interest so industry funded reviews and and the brilliant plate that they get that's the result of that so hopefully we you know other countries pay attention to that and start moving in that direction as well but emma you've touched on some key things there i mean you made reference to the lancet report which has been out uh came out what 2019 so you'd 
think that other, um, I guess, institutions would be referring to powerful um, science and reports such as that. And yet, like we say, the American guidelines, the, the New Zealand guidelines, not not quite taking it all on board. Um, and again, just, just as, a, in, in, and you mentioned the protein side of things as well, Hannah, in terms of how clear that, okay, there's a pro- requirement for protein where possible, go towards the, 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 the sort of the option of plant-based. But when you look at the American guidelines, it's pretty much still, I mean, it puts legumes, which we know is a great replacement for meat, under the category of vegetables. Now, in some parts of the report, it does still put it under the category of proteins, but in others, it's actually excluded. So it creates this confusion. Um, and the same thing with dairy in the American report. It's, it's pretty much pushing the dairy. There is then a paragraph buried in there saying, well, actually, plant-based milk alternatives, but they are nutrient poor. They don't have the calcium. They don't, they're trying to put you off. And I think it's very similar to New Zealand, and, and Australia's probably not far off. It's We know how it's been driven, isn't it? I mean, like you say, economy, um, you know, if we removed it, Canada took the brave step and said, well, actually, what is better for us? What's better for health? What's better for our environment? Um, so, yeah, definitely some uh, sort of clear uh, differences there. And, and you made mention of Denmark. I, I haven't personally seen it yet, but what? how does that plate look? Are you mm. able to comment on that? Yeah, of course. Um, So it's looking pretty good. Denmark has released new dietary guidelines only a few weeks ago, and they actually um, put the climate right up there alongside health. And they have some really clear um, steps that they recommend to people, such as eat plant-rich, varied, and not too much. And they also have a statement that says eat less meat um, and choose legumes or fish. So they're really kind of trying to promote legumes as a healthier option than other forms of meat. Um, and they do, you know, go into a lot more detail about why these options are um, a better choice, both for our health and for the planet. That's great. I like that. That's clear, simple language that everyone can understand rather than, you know, like reduce saturated fats and trans fats and all the ways that, you know, industry kind try and skirt us around just coming out and saying it. So that's fantastic. And coming from a country that's historically been one of the very high dairy-consuming nations as well, and probably meat as well. So it is very progressive, which is fantastic. Now, the next question I've got to ask, so we've got guidelines, and we're encouraging people to, for the most part, change habit, you know, and change the way they're consuming. Is it affordable? Is it is it easily accessible? I mean, we know that ultra-processed foods, they're, they're easier, they're quick, they're cheap, um, the New Zealand guidelines does actually make some, because uh, it's got a, a few sort of surveys included in there as well. And it talks about, um, you know, well, it's not just uh, socioeconomically deprived areas, but also men, Pacific and Asian adults. But they are less likely to eat the recommended amounts of vegetables and also more likely to eat refined grains like white bread. Mm. That's still concerning, isn't it? Oh, it is very highly concerning, and I think these are some really major issues that we're touching on here. Um, Health equity is Mm -hmm. super important when we're thinking about food environments and, you know, how easy is it for somebody to be able to reliably and affordably access uh, healthy, sustainable food. Uh, And 
when it comes down to what their income is as a household, often that does dictate what their food choices might be and, and what they are you know, able to purchase, as well as things like health literacy as well. Um, and and that comes back to that's the responsibility of you know the health system and the education system. It's not the problem of of the individual or the household. As a as a system and as a health sector, we are failing a lot of these groups, and it's unfairly affecting a lot of these populations. Like you mentioned, the Maori Pacific Island populations in New Zealand have far poorer um, health outcomes that are diet related. Um, so there needs to be a lot of you know, urgent work done to address um, economic imbalance. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I am also a member of a group called Otateo, who are a nationwide group of health professionals who advocate for health and climate action. And they wrote a brilliant um, briefing to the new government in New Zealand. And they are calling for you know, a fair and equitable to Tiriti-based uh, food system, which means that it's based on our Treaty of Waitangi, which is uh, Aotearoa's founding document. And as part of that, um, they do recommend to have a fair food system. We do need to address the economic imbalance and uh, make sure that all households have, you know, a baseline, um, you know, level of income so that they can access these healthy sustainable foods um, and then and there's also a big um, you know responsibility for the food sector to take um, some ownership of responsible marketing um, because at the moment we're seeing you know a lot of advertisements targeted at children or mm. even you know targeted towards you know particular groups with um, influences that might resonate with them um, which can also drive some of these um, imbalances as well um so is it is it affordable i think i think at the moment um what people you know are are marketed is cheap highly ultra processed foods um that are easy to find you know the local dairy in new zealand or our local shop on the corner um you know you're going to be able to find all sorts of different processed packaged foods, but it's often really hard to find a piece of fruit or, or a loaf of whole grain bread rather than just your 99 cent white bread. Um, so if, if people have a lot of time, which um, they don't often have, um, and if they have, you know, have the um, knowledge and the skills to be able to go through a supermarket and filter their way through all of these highly processed foods to find, you know, the, the cheap lentils, the cheap brown rice, um, maybe some, you know, frozen vegetables on special, that sort of thing, um, then it may be there, but it also takes a lot more time to prepare. And again, our lower income now they may be working a few different jobs and may not have the same amount of time. So the food system is quite broken and that, you know, going to McDonald's, may end up being more affordable and faster and, and really the only option for feeding that family. So, um, yeah, it's definitely a systemic problem and something that, you know, we, we won't really be able to support the population to eat in a healthy, sustainable way until those really fundamental policies are addressed. Yeah, you've really highlighted those flaws in the system so well, so eloquently there. And, you know, we're taking, we're always taking this linear approach where profit is the main driver. Um, so 
there definitely needs to be that appropriate governance, appropriate public health measures, um, you know, increased nutrition literacy. But at the same time, um, we don't have time to wait around for the government to make all those changes. So um, civil society, um, NGOs, charities like Doctors for Nutrition, that's where they become so important in helping drive this change. Um, now, the Australian Dietary Guidelines are currently under review. Um, what's DFN doing there? We are watching very closely at the moment because whilst they have announced that there is going to be a review, it's um, going to be a three to four year process. So yeah, sadly, yeah. yeah, sadly, we're not going to see, you know, the, the final version in the next 12 months or anything. And we can't, as a charity, we can't yet, you know, go to the table or launch a campaign um, around including a lot more whole plant foods in there um, because they're still at this very early stage. So um, we we are in our strategy phase at the moment looking at how we can best contribute and also um, clarifying what our key messages are going to be, you know, what would be the most impactful changes that we would um, like to call for in these guidelines. But I think that could be a good thing because you know, perhaps there's someone sitting in, in, you know, that that's sort of overseeing all this, that another year, another two years, and there could be better influence from, from other facets. You know, maybe the Eat Lancet report takes, be t- gets taken more seriously, or maybe they look at other countries. You know, before it was just Canada, now it's Denmark. How many other countries that could be leading the way that Australia might say, you know what, maybe it is time we take more drastic changes. So maybe it is a good thing. You know, um, and like you say, then it gives you a better opportunity to to understand exactly what angle you're going to come from. Um, so, mm. not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, not necessarily. And like Emma says, it's not all up to the government, you know, to translate these gui- guidelines and the evidence into recommendations. There's lots of other players that can be taking a role. Um, like, for example, our local group of health professionals. We we um, met with our local health board uh, probably about two years ago now and we were talking with them about how we can be an example for our community and what options there were and we came to um, you know suggest that meat-free Mondays in the cafeteria would be a great starting point and so last year um, Nelson Hospital and Whiteale Hospital which is just over the hill um, they both launched uh, a meat-free Monday in the staff cafeterias so That's it's just, fantastic. yeah, one step in the right direction. And, and it just sends a positive, um, clear signal to the community um, that this is, you know, the, the way that we need to be heading. Yeah. And, and you're involved in that C40 food initiative as well. Is that correct? I'm probably butchering love- the name of that. <laughs> <laughs> we are campaigning on that. So, um, yeah, we were really uh, delighted to see that progress at the District Health Board and, and then we were looking at, okay, what next? Um, and recognising that that we can hold as many events as we like and reach a lot of individuals, and we have had a lot of um, traction with that. However, to, you know, have an impact on, on the people who can't necessarily turn up to these events and things, then we need to be looking at, um, you know, what can the City Council be doing and what, what can we be um, working as, on as, um, you know, health professionals to help support that. So we came across that C40 Good Food Cities declaration 
and um, last year we campaigned as part of the annual planning process for our city council and um, we held a webinar and we encouraged community members to get involved in that that democratic process of deciding what what is the council going to focus on and spend that ratepayer money on um, do we just want to you know keep building more footpaths and things or should we should we also look look at um, what kind of food the council is buying and what kind of policies do they have for the events that they fund around food um, and the good Food cities policies, they cover, um, you know, four key points. Um, so changing the food procurement to align with the Eat Lancet planetary diet, that's one of them. Reducing food waste by 50% compared to 2015 levels, that's another one. Um, and then supporting the community to achieve, you know, the planetary health diet by 2030. So that that's a really um, key ambition and it is, you know, it's it would be quite a, a change from what most you know Kiwi households are currently following. So it it would require you know our city council, our DHB, who are supportive of those policies. Um, they actually are encouraging the city council to say yes and sign up to these as well. Um, and also, you know, our local Tangata Whenua leaders as well to actually you know work together to make progress. And the, the final point um, as part of the declaration is to s create a food strategy for the city and involve all the relevant people um, to contribute to that and come up with an action plan for the next 10 years. Um, so that's really what we want to see. And um, a lot of our you know community is getting behind that idea. So at the moment, unfortunately, they didn't include it in the annual plan. So we're now focusing on the long-term plan. So... <laughs> The council's going through that at the moment. Um, but importantly, we also do need to help farmers transition as well. So whilst we are promoting, you know, the shift and um, eventually I'm sure the New Zealand dietary guidelines will move towards that more plant-based model. And if they do remove dairy, you know, it's it, it really impacts the mental health of farmers when, you know, they are constantly being told that their practices are not sustainable. Um, so we need to be supporting them to be moving towards that more sustainable um, way of farming and farming more sustainable foods. Um, so we would love to see that from the government as well. Now, these are the National Eating and Activity Guidelines for New Zealand. Now, we weren't going to talk about activity. I'm just going to make a quick mention. And this is more of an observation and, and an interesting one as well. So last year we, on one of our episodes, I think it was one of the Express episodes, we talk about the latest uh, World Health Organization guidelines that were released um, that included you know a whole bunch of activity guidelines. And as an example, for an adult, their recommendation was 150 to 300 minutes per week of just basic aerobic exercise. These New Zealand guidelines recommend the minimum 150 per week uh, with no additional requirements for muscle strengthening exercises, which the WHO report does recommend. The alternative, when you look at vigorous intensity, again, the WHO report, 75 to 150 minutes, whereas the New Zealand guidelines, just the bare minimum, 75. So from my perspective, my opinion, a little bit disappointing that we're only aiming just for the minimum because we all know that whatever your target is, most people 
you know, achieve less. So to have a bigger range gives people a little bit more, I guess, impetus to to do more. Um, but it was pleasing to see whether it has been there before or not. But to reiterate the importance of sitting less, moving more, so being active. Um, and and so yeah, so I think just just to little comment on that this overall report or guidelines sorry the eating and activity guidelines for New Zealand we will have a copy of that on our website so if you want to have a read through and deep dive into it by all means we'll have a copy sitting on our website as well so to finish up Hannah overall these guidelines I mean still positive plenty of positives to take away there are. Yeah, there are a lot of positives there. And um, I hope that those changes um, and those messages do filter down through to the health profession and that they do start having more conversations with their patients um, and getting more involved in health promotion activities and, you know, calling for policy change. Because I think health professionals um, do have, you know, a degree of influence and have, you know, some ethical responsibility to be using that. Um, and I also think uh, recently there was a report, um, the Simpson report it's known as, uh, which is actually looking at our health system as a whole in New Zealand and suggesting changes to it. And there is a big emphasis on moving towards prevention rather than just treatment of disease. So I, I think you know, if, if those recommendations are really taken on board and we want to be moving towards a system that prioritizes health rather than just, you know, focuses on treating disease, um, that some, you know, really strong dietary guidelines would play a big role in that. And also more emphasis on, on the physical activity and movement um, for not just supporting physical health, but also mental health as well, because yeah. that you know, food and movement have such a big impact on both of those. Now, awesome. Um, as Emma mentioned right at the beginning, you wear an incredible amount of hats, um, you know, all driving change, trying to create, you know, bring influence to a lot of various communities, and, and it's hugely commendable. Um, we need more people like you. But um, thank you so much for, for coming onto the show and sharing a little bit of insight into Something that's important, you know, guidelines in terms of how to live better and, and eating is a very big part of that. So um, hopefully that stimulates a lot of other people into thinking and reviewing uh, what they do and, and, and perhaps contributing, you know, getting involved and, and um, you know, where there's opportunities, you have a voice. So um, Hannah, you're a great example of that. So thank you so much for coming onto the show. Thank you, Hannah. Thanks, Ben and Emma. Thank you for having this podcast. It's been so inspirational listening to it over the last six months or so, or a little longer. Yeah, you're doing a wonderful job. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Lentil Intervention Podcast. If you found this interesting, make sure you subscribe and share it with your friends.